0: So today we come to chapter 48 of Genesis. So please open your Bibles up there. Jacob and his family have now been living in the land of Egypt, uh, obviously because of the famine that we studied about. And uh, at this point in time, he, Jacob, has been reunited with his son Joseph, who he thought was dead for quite a bit of time. And Joseph, his son, has set them up pretty nicely in the land of Egypt and has taken care of the entire family there. And we'll pick up the story now in verse 1 of chapter 48 here, where it says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So here it seems that Joseph knows that it is the end of his father's life. We're only told here that that uh, Jacob, Joseph's father, is sick, but Joseph seems to understand that this sickness is a sickness unto death, and we will see that as we go on, of course. But Joseph takes his two sons with him that were born to him during his time in Egypt, and they go out to visit their grandfather at this time in his life. Now, from a practical standpoint for you and me this morning, as I mentioned to you last week, it is the duty of a, a godly man and a godly woman, for that matter, to give honor where honor is due. And I talked a little bit about honor last week. But Jacob, Joseph's father, has in his lifetime done that. Jacob himself has been a man that has given honor where honor was due. Uh, We have seen him give honor to his father, Isaac, as well as to his uh, grandfather, Abraham. And again, I pointed that out in the study last week. We've also seen in our studies thus far, um, Jacob time and time again, give honor to his Lord God as well, to take the time to, to do that. So Joseph, his son, knows that it is important that he and his sons be by Jacob's side while he is on his deathbed. And we will later see that these two boys of Joseph's will have a big role to play in the nation of Israel. But again, in our daily lives, we need to be sure to give honor where honor is due and to take time to to think about that in our lives. But verse two says, and Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. Now, again, those of you that have been following along with us through this whole book of Genesis, we know that, well, since we've been talking about Jacob, we know that Jacob and Israel are the same person. The names are used interchangeably throughout the book here and you'll hear me use one name or the other as we go through this study as well. But Jacob and Israel are the same person, okay? But here we see that it does Israel's heart good to know that Joseph, his son, is on his way to see him on his deathbed. And that fact gives him the strength to sit up on his bed. He seems to be excited about this meeting. Now, I'm just going to take a few moments here to insert my own commentary on what's happening here, and that is that it's a sad thing that today so many elderly people that have grown adult children die every day in nursing homes and and assisted living homes without ever or rarely ever being visited by their children. We have seen that in the past, Penny and I, in places that we have visited. The kids don't even come to see them. But this should not be the case with godly parents, parents that have walked this life with the Lord and have passed a godly heritage on to their children. You know, of course, once a year we celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day, and I usually state on those days that it's a sad thing that if we only honor our parents one day a year. Now, I understand that this is a fallen world in which we live and that there are ungodly parents. There are parents that, you know, haven't done well in the raising of their children or in the lives of their children. Those that have not honored the Lord God in their lives and maybe have not treated their children, like I said, in the way that they should And unfortunately for them, those kind of parents do, in the end, sometimes reap what they sow in this life. But I'm speaking primarily of those that profess godly living. We should live our lives in in a manner that displays that we do indeed, like I mentioned earlier, we give honor where honor is due. And if you are someone that has been brought up by godly parents, then, uh, if you, I should say, if you're not someone that was brought up by godly parents, well, then you can begin that in your lives. You can begin a life where you honor God first and foremost, and then you can pass on a different heritage to your children. And it's important that we take time to think about that as well, that there's something that we need to leave behind, a legacy that we need to leave with our children, a godly legacy, a godly heritage Uh, It's a sad thing today, though, but honor seems to have gone by the wayside in our culture. We live today in a a me, myself, and I generation or period of time. And our society really doesn't take um, too much time to make those that have gone before us feel appreciated. Now, this may be the norm in the world, but it's not the norm that we find in the Word of God. That's not what we see. And we, if we profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, profess to be followers of the Word of God, then we are people that live in obedience to the Word of the Lord. I have also found that it's, it's very easy to study the Bible, to read the Bible, to know what the Bible says, but it's a, it's a whole different thing to actually live it, to actually put it into practice in your life. And this takes effort. And it takes discipline, and it's something that you have to step out by faith and, and do. So you often hear me exhort, exhort you to not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word as well. And I believe that's why we gather, so that we can be, you know, exhorted in the Lord to say, hey, it's not just, it's not, this is not just the religion this is not just the social gathering. It's where we come to hear the word of the Lord and be exhorted to then go out and to live it. And it starts in our homes and it starts with the people we love and the people that are around us on a daily basis. And then it goes out from there. We can profess to have all the faith we want, but if it's not seen in the way that we live, then it is nothing more than just another religion. And we are nothing more than hypocrites if we don't live what we profess to believe. So all that said, I just exhort you to honor those in your life that have walked the path before you. Take the time to do that. Honor them before they're gone. What a blessing it would be for someone to hear their eulogy before they actually die, right? So many sweet things are spoken about a person at a funeral that sure would be nice for them to hear while they're alive. And the Bible exhorts us to be that kind of people, to speak words of edification and exhortation. You know, so we need to speak the love that we have for the people that are in our lives, from our parents to our children to our husbands, you know, wives, whatever. But back to our story here. Joseph is now with his father Jacob, and, he is on, and Jacob is on his deathbed. And verse 3 says, Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people, and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now pause right there, because this is a real good thing that we see Israel, or Jacob, doing here with his son, Joseph. He is telling Joseph all that God has done for him. And I'm not going to expound on these particular verses again, because we have in past studies. But the thing that I'd like to point out here is that it's very important that our children that come after us, those that we are responsible for raising up, it is extremely important that they know what God has done in our lives, You see, if you have given your life over to God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, then you will see the work of the Lord in your life on a personal level. You will see His hand at work in your life. He promises, first of all, to the person that comes to Him, He promises to make all things new. And as He does this, we then begin to see things differently than we once did. And this is an undeniable work of the Lord in the heart of a person that is committed to Him. And as you seek Him and as you read His Word and as you call out to Him in prayer, old things pass away and all things become new as we're told in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. But again, once this happens in our lives, it is then our duty to pass it on to our kids, to let them know what the Lord has done, to tell them how the Lord has opened our eyes, to be honest with them and tell them all the work that the Lord has done. Now, they, of course, will have to make their own choices as it pertains to a relationship with the Lord. But you, at least, must begin to to leave them this legacy, this legacy of what the Lord, has done in your life. And this is what we see Jacob slash Israel doing with his son Joseph here. He has a plan. We'll see what he's gonna tell him. But he takes the time to say, this is what God has done in my life, Joseph. This is how he's been there for me. And we can learn from that to say, we need to pass that on to others as well. Then he continues in verse five. Then he says, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you, in Egypt are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Now, what is Jacob doing here in welcoming these two boys of Joseph, right, into his family? That is what he's doing, right? Not only that, but he's also positioning them in a place where they will be able to take part in the inheritance, so he's basically saying to Joseph here, Joseph, just as surely as Reuben and Simeon, my first two born sons, are, are, are mine, so shall your two firstborn sons be mine as well. These two boys are my family as much as anything else, he's telling them. Remember, Joseph has been in Egypt since he was seventeen years old. He's somewhere in his forties by now. He was taken into slavery sold by his brothers. Then, of course, he rose to prominence in in the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. But these two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, have been raised in a different culture than Israel, than Jacob and his children. But Jacob proclaims here that they are now part of his family. Let's read on. Jacob says to Joseph in verse 6, Your offspring whom you beget After them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So here is where we see that what's taken place all has to do with an inheritance. Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are being brought into or included into this inheritance that Jacob will leave behind. And by proclaiming that Ephraim and Manasseh are his, he is bringing them into this birthright so that they can take part in this inheritance. We know that Jacob Israel had 12 sons that would receive an inheritance, Joseph, of course, being one of the 12 but with what Jacob is lining up here, he is making it so that, Joseph's, the son, so that Joseph, the, the son that he greatly loved, and for years he thought was dead, that this son will actually receive a double portion of the inheritance. He will get a portion, and his two sons together will get one portion. So of the twelve sons of Jacob or Israel, if you will, the inheritance that is left behind will be divided up 13 ways. But ordinarily, in Old Testament times, the double portion would be given to the firstborn son. And Joseph was not Jacob's firstborn son. Reuben was. If you remember, Reuben was born to Jacob from Leah. But if you also remember from our studies of past chapters, Rachel was the woman Jacob loved. She was the only woman that he wanted as his wife. Rachel was the woman that he worked all those years for. He was actually tricked by his father-in-law Laban into taking Leah, Rachel's sister, as a wife. So then as it pertains to the wife that Jacob loved, Rachel, Joseph, was the firstborn son. And Jacob here is doing this. In By doing this, he is also honoring the wife that he loves so much. So he gives Joseph this double portion, which Joseph's two boys will be included on. And in verse seven here, Jacob is going to bring up his wife, Rachel. He says, but as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan, on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. So, you see, Jacob is bringing up Rachel here in this explanation to his son Joseph. And he is honoring Rachel, Joseph's mother, in all of this. And he is also bringing up the land of Canaan here. That's the promised land. That's the land that God said would belong to his descendants. Right now, Jacob again is on his deathbed in a land that is not his own. It's not the land that God said would belong to him and his descendants, Egypt that is, It's that's not the land. And the woman he loved though, was buried back in Canaan, Joseph's mother. But here's the thing though, as we speak about this inheritance that we're talking about here, At this point in time, as Jacob is on his deathbed in Egypt, what does he really have? What does he really have to leave behind? Jacob and all his family have been living in the middle of a famine. They have left the land of Canaan, the promised land, behind to move where we have seen Joseph is now taking care of them in Egypt, right? So they don't really own all that much except for their livestock. So then what is the importance of this inheritance? What will there be for Jacob's 12 boys and these two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, what will there be for them to inherit? Well, again, what did God promise that Jacob himself would inherit? He would inherit the land, the promised land. This people group named after this man, Israel, would inherit a land promised to them by God. Even though, as we have been seeing in Genesis, they are currently living in Egypt during a famine, the land of Canaan was the promised land, and it was still someday going to be theirs. It will still belong to the descendants of this man, Israel. It doesn't matter who will live in the land before they get back there. The land will ultimately be theirs. doesn't matter who settled there before them. It's the land that God promised to them. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, would receive this land as an inheritance, and a portion would go to each of them. And Joseph, as the firstborn of the woman Jacob loved, again, he's going to receive a double portion handed down to him. And one of those portions will belong to Ephraim and Manasseh. Is the sky falling? Doesn't matter if your phone's on silent with those things. <laughs> but the tribe of Joseph was divided into two tribes. And every other child born to Joseph would be, would, would not be, They wouldn't be their own tribe, but they would rather be the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. That's what Jacob was explaining back there in verse 6 when he said all these other ones born. They're not going to be their own tribe. They're going to come under the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. But again, all of this that Jacob is explaining to Joseph has to do with the land, the land that God promised to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what we see Jacob doing here on his deathbed is an act of great faith. You see, in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11, Jacob is mentioned as one of the men of great faith. And the reason that he's mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 11 was not for wrestling with God or or any other thing that he did. It was for this right here. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 for what he's doing right now, blessing Joseph. And we can go ahead and turn there. You want to mark this page and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Here in this chapter is a list of all the people of faith that are mentioned in the Bible, or many of them. This book is often referred to as the Hall of Faith. So Hebrews 11, and let's just look down at verse 21. It says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, leaning on the top of his staff. Now, why is this act of Joseph considered as such a great act of faith? Why is he in this hall of faith? For this purpose, for this reason. Well, it's because Jacob knew by faith that the Israelites, his descendants, would one day get back to the promised land. His people would indeed receive their inheritance. Even though Jacob, when he was on his deathbed, He and all of his descendants were still in the land of Egypt. By faith, he knew that they would one day be back in the promised land, the land that God promised they would have. You see, if you look back at verse 1 here in chapter 11 of Hebrews, you'll see that it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So this is what Jacob was doing on his deathbed, seeing something that was not yet visible, seeing something that was not yet seen, trusting that what God promised he would perform. And Jacob wanted the descendants of Joseph to be included in on the inheritance of this land, even though they were born in Egypt. There was a physical promised land for the chosen people of God, the Israelites. It wasn't a fairy tale, and it wasn't something that was uh, going to be theirs for just a short period of time. The land was to be theirs for as long as there is time. And again, Jacob, by faith, is seeing this afar off from his deathbed. And you know, for us as followers of Jesus Christ today, there is A land waiting for us as well. It's referred to in the book of Revelation as the New Jerusalem. It is our heavenly home. And today we walk by faith on our journey there. We don't yet see it, nor do we see Jesus Christ in the flesh today on the earth. But we believe in him. And he has made himself known in our hearts, and he has gone ahead and prepared a place for us where we will spend eternity, and we know this by faith, and we need to live in such a manner that we see it afar off, and we know it's there, and it affects the way we live, and we walk in that faith. You see, maybe the children of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, were mocked for their belief in the promised land. Because the fact of the matter is that after Joseph dies, the children of Israel will go into 400 plus years of captivity in Egypt. They will be treated harshly, used as slaves. They were probably repeatedly asked time and time again, where is this promised land of yours? I thought you had some land for your people. Where is this promised land? Right? Right? And if you are the people of God, right, they probably were asked, well, well, then where is God in this time of your affliction when you're slaves now in Egypt, right? And today, people mock Christians for the things that we believe, for our stance on biblical matters. If you stand for the truth of the word of God, you will be in some way, shape, or form persecuted, or mocked at least. But we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. As you've heard me say time and time again, this place is not our home. Jacob was in Egypt at this time. Israel was in Egypt at this time. But he's seeing something different. He's seeing where they're going. And he's setting things up. He's setting things in place because he knows there's a land waiting. And our eyes today should be fixed on Jesus and on our heavenly home, not on this this land here. And as we flip back to Genesis chapter 48, Jacob also, um, again, also known as Israel, he continues to act on this faith. And he says in verse 8, or it says says in verse 8, "'Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, "'Who are these?' And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So here we see Israel unconditionally loving his grandsons, even though they were technically Egyptians, right? Born to an Egyptian mother. He kissed them, he embraced them, and he received them as his own flesh and blood. For years, he thought that his son Joseph was dead, but now he rejoices in the fact that not only is he seeing Joseph, he's seeing Joseph's children as well. Again, if you have followed along with us through this entire story that we've been reading about since uh, chapter 37, you know that this has been quite an ordeal in the life of Jacob. All the while, he thought his son was dead but his son was actually alive and well. Oftentimes for you and me, we see things in a certain way, right? We walk by sight and we simply only believe what we can see with our eyes. But God wants us in a place where we live this life trusting in him and being completely surrendered to him. Understanding that he is God and we are not. God sees and knows things that we don't know and that we don't see, and he's over all things, right? Yes, we live in a world where we experience the good, the bad, and the ugly, but God is concerned about doing a work within us. We know this is true because we see it in the pages of scripture. Was Jacob a perfect man? Did he always do what was right? No, we've seen as we've studied him that he did not. But he was a man that God was able to work in and through, as was his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. You see, this life that we now live, it will beat us down from time to time. It will uh, beat us up and beat us down, right? The circumstances of this life may test us may wear us down, but God desires to do a work within us. He desires that we keep trusting in Him and keep our eyes fixed on Him and keep walking by faith no matter what, right? He wants us trusting in Him no matter how we see things to be or perceive things to be. He wants us trusting in Him above all. If we look to our outward circumstances for our happiness, then we will find that most of our lives will be miserable. That's what all the people of this world are doing every day, right? It's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and everybody's trying to make their own happiness, even if they have to step on everybody else. But God calls us to be people of faith that trust in Him and His provision, right? He wants us to know Him and to love Him above all else, to trust that he will work in us no matter the circumstances of our lives. Jacob spent many years in sorrow, believing that Joseph, his son, was dead. But he wasn't dead, was he? And we've seen so far as we've studied this story of Joseph, how Joseph was an example or a type of Jesus Christ. And you know, many people go through this life today in sorrow and despair because they don't know that Jesus is alive and that He wants to bring them peace in their hearts. They're missing that truth. Jesus is alive. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. God so loved the world that He gave us Jesus so that we might know eternal life. And when you know the Lord and you commit to following Him, Things will never be what they appear to be. And you will not be a person that walks in accordance with what appears to be anyway, but you will will be a person that walks by faith. So Jacob slash Israel now realizes that he is blessed to know that not only is his son Joseph alive, but he also has two grandsons that he wants to bless as well. Again, I've said this time and time again through the book of Genesis, but our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not God's ways. His ways are much higher than ours and he wants us trusting in that no matter how things appear to be. See, all the while, while Jacob was living in sorrow over the fact that Joseph was dead, Joseph was not dead. All the while, many people in this world are living in sorrow, living in ways they don't lack of peace in their hearts because they don't realize that Jesus is alive and wants to dwell within them and bring them peace and wants to be the God of comfort for them. Verse 12 continues and says, So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand. And Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Now, just to set the scene here, Manasseh is the eldest of these two boys. And therefore, he should be blessed with the birthright blessing. So Joseph is arranging them so that they are in the position in front of Jacob so that Jacob's right hand will go on Manasseh on his head. But verse 14 says, Then Israel stretched out his hands and laid it on his his right hand, I should say, and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So Israel here is crossing his arms, but he knows exactly what he's doing. This doesn't seem right, but it tells us that there was someone guiding Israel's hands more knowingly. You know, it was God that was, doing, was involved in all of this, even, even though Israel knew that Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, this may remind you of something here, right? Because when Israel, Jacob himself was just a lad, he received a blessing from his father Isaac that really didn't belong to him. Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, had tricked his father, Isaac, into blessing him rather than blessing his older brother, Esau. But this time, there's no trickery involved. Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. And remember, God is in all of this. Oftentimes, we as mankind have our traditions, right, our ways of doing things. And we think that there is no other way of doing it. But God's ways are not man's ways, right? Like I said earlier, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are much higher than ours. So there is a purpose to why Israel is blessing the boys in this way. And oftentimes we can get stuck in our traditions and our ways of doing things and not be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit and say, no, this is the way I was raised. This is the church I was brought up in. This is the religion I was brought up in. The denomination, the non-denomination, this is the way we do it. And we miss out on what the Holy Spirit might wanna do in our lives because of our traditions. But now Jacob is going to pronounce this blessing upon Joseph by laying his hands on his sons. And verse 15 says, And he blessed Joseph and said, God, now his hands are on the boys, don't get confused here, but in so doing, he's blessing Joseph in this as well. God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude In the midst of the earth. So again, these two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, even though born in Egypt to an Egyptian mother, are being welcomed into the family of Israel. Their descendants will be of the tribes of Israel. And notice there in verse 15, Israel acknowledges that God has been his provider all of his life. He didn't consider himself to be a self-made man. He knew the truth. He knew that he had nothing apart from God. And it would do us all well to remember this each and every day of our lives, that we have nothing apart from God. King David in Psalm 1 said, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Would we have food? clothing and shelter, transportations and jobs or or anything today without what God created. We would have nothing without his creation. And this man Israel recognizes this in his prayer here. He recognizes that, that God has provided for not only him, but his forefathers as well, as he mentions Isaac and Abraham. And he wants God to bless Ephraim and Manasseh with a multitude of descendants. Then verse 17 says, Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Now, this is an act of faith on Jacob's part as well, in saying all this, pronouncing all of this. Because, what he pronounced here did indeed come true. As time will go by, the people that will descend from the tribe of Ephraim, the the younger son of Joseph, these people will be greater in number and more honorable than the people of the tribe of Manasseh. The Old Testament book of Numbers in chapter 1 records that the number of people in each of these tribes it records the number of people in each of these tribes, I should say. And it says that there were 8,300 more people in the tribe of Ephraim than in the tribe of Manasseh. So again, this was God directing the hands of Israel upon these children. And it was Israel acting in faith in pronouncing what he would do because God indeed would bless the tribe of Ephraim greater than the tribe of Manasseh. And we'll look at that more in depth when we get to those chapters in the future in the Bible. But verse 20 continues and says, So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he said Ephraim before Manasseh. Now, it's interesting, but to this very day when the Jewish people pronounce a blessing over their children on the Sabbath, they still say these words here, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. But verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying. But God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So there in verse 21, Israel on his deathbed makes another great statement of faith. He says in the presence of Joseph and his boys that God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Again, this is a statement of faith. Egypt was not going to be the homeland of the children of Israel forever, okay? God would bring them back to the land of their fathers. Yes, they still had a long way to go. Yes, there would be hard times still to come for them. Over 400 years of hard times for the children of Israel. It makes me think of Christians that have gone on before us that maybe became a Christian when they were 20 years old and lived to be 90 years old, and their whole life, that whole time, they looked for the coming of the Lord. They waited for the coming of the Lord. And where was it? Oh, it came. It will come. It hasn't come, thankfully. We're still here, right? We're not with Him, but it will come. And it will come for us. Jesus will come back, right? And these people, even though Jacob, Israel here, is proclaiming this, God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. They still had over 400 years of hard times to go through. Slavery and such, right? But they will be led out of that land by a man that God will raise up named Moses. They will go back to the land of their fathers, the land of Canaan, the promised land. They each would receive a portion of that land in Israel, there in verse 22 tells Joseph what portion of it would belong to his descendants, right? He says it's the portion that he got uh, with his bow from the Amorites, right? But you can find in the book of Judges how the land is all divided up and what went to, what portions went here and what portions went there. But again, As we make this practical, what about us today? Are we truly people of faith in God, the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are we truly followers of Him? If so, then we should walk by faith, right? Not trusting in ourselves or in anything that this world has as we presently know it not trusting in our circumstances as they are today, right? And in a sense, as you go through the Bible, you'll see that this world that we live in today that we're just passing through is kind of like our Egypt, right? It's it's not our final resting place. It's not our home. We have a God that is our provider, a God that loves us and has blessed us with his son, Jesus Christ. Someday we will be with him, throughout all eternity. But he desires that we live this life now as if we're just passing through. The promised land awaits us as believers in Jesus Christ. And just like we're reading about in the Old Testament here, right? If we keep going, right? If we keep pressing on, keep walking by faith, ultimately God's plan will come to fruition for all of mankind. If you don't know him today, and again, I'm speaking to people that listen to this recording as well, not just you folks here. But if you don't know him today, then call out to him, seek him, right? Place your trust in him. He loves you with an everlasting love. And even if you have spent your whole life in Egypt away from him, he still wants to receive you as his own. That's what I see with, Jake, with Israel doing with Ephraim and Manasseh. He's receiving them as his own. And even if you've walked your whole life away from God, he still will receive you as his own. He will still reach out and embrace you and kiss you and love you and receive you as his child. And again, I'll re, you know, repeat this exhortation to all of us that profess to know Him. Walk by faith and not by sight through this life. Don't look to your circumstances. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. More and more as we go through this world, it's going to wax worse and worse. It really is. Right now, we've been living in a you know, a pretty cushy kind of life, I believe, as Christians. And I'm not trying to prophesy anything, but it's just what the Bible says. It's going to get worse and worse. And we see things in our own nation getting worse and worse in the sense that good is being called evil, and evil is being called good, and things are changing. But where do you stand? Where do we stand? What do we stand upon? We stand upon the word of God, right? We stand upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we must continue to fight that fight. We just see a great act of faith here in what Jacob does in the lives of these children, Ephraim and Manasseh, as he's on his deathbed. He's seeing something that's far off, way far. He has no idea how far off it really was. He has no idea what the next 400 years would hold for his descendants, but it doesn't matter. He's pronouncing by faith what the truth is, and we have a truth that's in front of us. First of all, it's our our Bibles is where we find all of this truth, but the truth of the matter is, is there's some place we're going and we're not yet there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord God, we thank you for your word we thank you for your holy spirit lord who indwells us who teaches us who comforts us leads and guides us through this life i pray for all of us lord that we will just continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you continue to seek you more with all of our heart soul mind and strength to love you above all else lord draw us closer to you by your spirit thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us lord that you are our provider in every way you provide all of our needs by your riches and glory in Christ Jesus and we are complete in Jesus. so we thank you Lord Jesus for your presence in our lives and Lord we pray even as we got this amber alert alert Lord I haven't even looked at it yet, but we pray for. This child or whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation is, Lord, we pray for the safety of the people involved in this Amber Alert, Lord. We pray that if it's a child, Lord, that they would be returned safely to their mother, to their father, Lord, whatever it may be. We just lift this before you, and again, we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.